Hi, and welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast. My name is Mark Roost, and each week I track down the world's best teachers and world-class experts to break down and demystify the process of what it really takes to bring ideas to life. So whether you're looking to start a business or start a movement, we've got you covered. But before I jump into today's guest, who I know you're going to love and devour, I want to let you know that we're just about to hit 12,500 downloads on iTunes, and that is thanks to you. Thank you so much for spreading the word. Thank you so much for sharing this episode with your friends and loved ones and colleagues. It means so much to me. In fact, I want to make sure I spend some time today to read out some of your comments and reviews that you post on iTunes. What you can do is go over on iTunes or on your phone, you know, subscribe to the podcast, rate the show and leave a review. It means the world to me. It helps the show. It spreads the word. So you're doing just so much good to this show. And if you like it and if you enjoy it, that's a small way or a big way for you to show your contribution and your appreciation. And we're going to read today, No Famous, who wrote, I like the lineup of people, not just mainstream and wide variety. Also, Mark does a great job getting the most from the experts and keeps it alive and interesting. Highly recommended. Thank you so much. No Famous, obviously don't know who you are, but uh, I appreciate you. And if you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, and I might be reading it out on the next episode, Go over and do that. If you need some help with the tech side, markdrews.com forward slash blog. Look up for my first, I think it's one of the first articles that I wrote about how to do that from your laptop or from your iPhone, screenshots attached. So no matter how tech savvy you are, you can totally do this and nail it. As you know, one of my favorite parts of the episode is to read out who are the top 10 countries around the world who are listening to the show. The most, the leaderboard, the one and only, the unconventionalist leaderboard. That's the only leaderboard that counts these days. And in number one position, United Kingdom, holding strong the fort, as always, followed closely, but as always, United States. Third, Bulgaria. Fourth, Germany. Fifth, Netherlands. Sixth, Kuwait. Seventh, Spain. Eighth, Canada. Ninth, Morocco. And tenth, Australia. Now, the runner-ups are Sweden, Russia, and Indonesia. Hang in there. If you want to get your country up on the top 10 leaderboard and you're you're tired of not hearing your country being named in the top 10 leaderboards of countries who listen to the unconventional, let's let's face it, the more people listen to the unconventional podcast, the more awesome the countries are blatantly going to be. You want to share this, spread it, tweet it, Facebook, I don't know what you do, the young kids these days, Snapchat it, YouTube it, do what you got to do, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and in fact, I just want to make a quick announcement. Next week is the last episode of the year. I'll be taking a little break, taking some time off, and you won't want to miss this one. It's it's going to be a recap of what I've learned from all the amazing guests this year. It's some big announcements for 2017, and I am so, so excited about that episode and sharing it with you. So I know you'll be tuning in next week in between festivities and between feasts and meal, if that's what you're doing over the, over the festive period coming up. And... And I just cannot wait. But in the meantime, today's episode is with Graham Alcott. And he is the author of How to Be a Productivity Ninja and the founder of Think Productive, one of the UK's leading productivity training companies helping organizations across Europe survive information overload and get more done with less stress. In short, he's the guy that has a team that goes into companies and helps entrepreneurs basically sort the shit out. I mean, if I've, I've worked 10 years across the corporate, nonprofit, and charity sector, and let me tell you this, if there's one thing that runs deep in any organization I've ever been in, it's, uh, it's work overload, it's email information overload, stress, and all of this. And that's what they do. They go in there and they help companies. And, and so I really went deep into uh, Graham's knowledge in terms of 
what it takes to be more productive, how can we manage time more efficiently, is there such a thing as work-life balance, what does he actually really think of the four-hour work week concept, and one of the things that took me most by surprise, and you'll listen to, and hopefully you'll figure that out, and if you can, tweet me, if you, if you tweet me, tweet me the moment that you think that was, I was like, oh my god, this is, this is how the world is changing now, something phenomenal that he, that he shared with me about, about a new way of interacting and working with your team, it's pretty, pretty spectacular. And also you'll, you'll hear about why willpower is so overrated and why Graham is not on Facebook and what he thinks the future of emails holds. As always, it is my great pleasure to introduce you one of the world's experts in his field. I give you Graham Alcott. Graham, welcome to the show. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... It's one of those weird things where um, there's always, I'm always a bit wary when I when I bring in people who are going to probably highlight all my biggest fears and issues about how, how productive <laughs> I am, <laughs> like having like a productivity guru on. But I know that the audience is really excited at having you, and we've already had a whole bunch of questions pouring in about you know a whole bunch of stuff from emails to procrastination to cool. information overload. So before before we jump into like this juicy details i guess one of the questions that i'm asking is when someone asks you what do you do what do you say uh well i think yeah it's a good question these days i would say i'm an author and i write business books uh people seem to mm. understand that quite easily uh before i had the book out I would have to say I run a company that goes into other companies and teaches them how to be more productive and people would go, oh, you know, and it would just be more difficult to explain. So it's definitely been easier since I have the book. But I guess these days, um, so I, my background is I have a, a company called Think Productive. Mm -hmm. uh, we're out there in, um, in the UK and also around the world uh, running workshops in some of the world's leading companies. Mm -hmm. and doing things with them, like getting their email inbox to zero, helping people to get clarity and control over the work they're doing. Uh, and um, I, I guess my job in that these days is as the founder is really the face, you know, so I'm out there telling the story. Uh, I'm writing more books and more content and I have a podcast called Beyond Busy mm. uh, and all that sort of thing. And then we have a whole bunch of people who, go, who really go out and do the work um, in companies, you know, so running the workshops and doing the day-to-day -day logistics and all that side of things. So, yeah, it's pretty multifaceted <laughs> uh, sort of existence. Uh, and, you know, just back from Australia and New Zealand, for example, just for four or five weeks there. Um, so, yeah, it's been kind of, uh, yeah, like it, my, my year tends to be kind of split up amongst the kind of overseas trips and then the kind of day-to-day -day stuff as well. Amazing. And, and one must ask, how did you end up focusing on productivity or how did productivity become your area of focus? Uh, well, it first became an area of focus for me, you know, sort of 12, 15 years ago or so because I was bad at it. <laughs> uh, so I, at quite a young age, I became a chief executive of a, uh, a small national charity. Mm -hmm. um, and... I, you know, in that role, I could have, I, w I was really good at the strategic stuff and really good at being able to have ideas and start to see how things needed to happen and start to make things happen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess I was, a, I, I guess I was a good leader. Uh, if you um, define leader as being someone who sits at their desk, has ideas, and then everybody else goes and does the work, you know, that was, <laughs> that was kind of me for a long time. But then um, I had this kind of period where I left that job and I went freelance. Um, so similar to yourself, having um, uh, listened to a couple of your recent podcasts, you know, um, <laughs> did that whole thing of uh, ditching the ditching the job that gave me lots of identity and gave me a regular paycheck, and decided to go freelance. Really, as a 
as a consultant and trainer working in, in the voluntary sector, that was my background was charities right. and, you know, and, and wanting to just help lots of different organizations and have a bit more of a multi-portfolio kind of focus. And when I did that, I realized that I didn't have a team of people around me and I was on my own. And it was like, oh, okay. So I have to be the person who does all of this and gets everything over the line and really takes control of stuff and doesn't let, let stuff slip between the cracks and stuff. So I yeah. kind of realized all that was difficult for me um, and really just spent a lot of time and energy, I guess, just conquering that and just kind of working out what what was wrong for me. And like, you know, a lot of it came down to the fact that my natural style was not particularly based around being a, com- a completer finisher. And it was, you know, much mm. more orientated around the ideas and creativity and so on. Um, but I guess, you know, for anybody who's listening to this, who's, you know, in, in any way creative, I think you need structure and you need a level of organization to free you up to be much more creative. It, you know, it's really freeing once you get control of your productivity yeah. um, to actually do the work that you really want to do and, and make space for what matters. So that was really my um, my journey into... Kind of like, oh, this, uh, actually, I need this, and then you're getting yeah, used to yeah, it. And yeah, then, and I actually, yeah, and, and I guess because it had been such a struggle for me in the past, um, right. once I figured right. it out, I just found myself talking to so many people about it and saying, hey... Have you, you know, guys tried this? <laughs> look how I've got my email inbox to zero. And, you know, I suppose once I started to have those kind of conversations with people, I realized that everybody else was, you know, feeling the same pain and suffering this stuff too. So it just became a really natural conversation that once it started, people wanted workshops and they wanted coaching and they wanted to, uh, to you know, to kind of learn stuff from me. So that's really where the business came yeah. from. It was just this real light bulb moment, actually, of um, one particular uh, woman who I was I was coaching her inbox down to zero and, she got down to the last two emails and I literally watched her body language go from like hunched up shoulders to being totally relaxed and calm. And I just remember this kind of, you know, light bulb above the head kind of ping. Yeah. This is what I need to be doing. This is, this so is what my business needs to be. Yeah. So there's something in, in, I just want to pick a detail of the story that you just mentioned around, you know, going through the identity change of like having this very clear, you know, role as director and charity. Yeah. What, what, what went through, you in terms of like emotion what were you going through when you went through that change of identity because i know that this is something that a lot of listeners go through around pegging their identity to what they do and then re i guess birthing yourself as like this new entrepreneur slash freelancer slash consultant what was yeah what was that like for you well i don't think it honestly i don't think it was too bad for me in that sense i think the, the thing that was harder for me was you know, I, I sort of come from a background of like my family didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked all the way through university. I'd worked for, you know, I basically had my first job, um, you know, before I even graduated and had never been in a period of, of not being in work mm-hmm. um, and was so used to and addicted to the sort of drip, drip monthly pay packet thing. So for me, it was more of a kind of financial thing of am I going to be able to sustain myself on my own? And is this going to be a complete disaster and right. all of that. So that, I suppose that was more of the, the fears, yeah. you know, the, the fear that I had to get over and probably I would have done it sooner if it wasn't for that fear. Um, right. I think that was, you know, a, a big kind of part and, of it for me. And what did you I do had, to help, to help kind of overcome that fear? What were the things like, especially if you could give the advice to someone that's going through the exact same fear as you right now, like what would you want to say as, as a tip? Uh, I mean, this is, this is honestly like the number one piece of advice I give to every single person who ever asks me, Hey, I'm thinking of going freelance. Like, how do I do this? And, like I, I always start with this because I think it's like so fundamental, which is uh, basically have, have a separate bank account 
But all, even, in, if, in, even if you're not going to register as a limited company and get into VAT and all that kind of stuff, even if you're just kind of starting small, have a separate bank account, get paid into that bank account for everything that you do, and then treat that bank account as your employer that gives you a monthly pay packet. Mm. So I basically would pay myself the same every single month. Um, I had some really, really good months where I could have paid myself five or ten times what I was paying myself, and I never did. And I had some really bad months where I didn't really earn any money and I was still paying myself that same amount every month. And so basically I would just use that bank account. The measurement was, and I think you talked about this on your podcast before, of like the runway, you know, how yeah. many months have you got? Yeah. Um, so I would use that bank account really not as a measure of how much money I had, but how much time I had. So how many months did I have as runway? How many months could I pay myself that figure? I think it was like two grand a month, I think I think it was, um, you know, which would sort of cover the rent and, and sort of and cover a... A little bit of food and a little bit of fun, you know, and that yeah. was kind of all I really needed. And I think a lot of people go really down the route of frugality uh, when mm. they go freelance or set up a business. And I think that's fine. But like, I also think life's for living as well. Um, so I don't think I've ever really been someone who, you know, I, I think I'm very um, sensible with the decisions that I take around money. But like, I don't deprive myself of anything. You yeah. know? So and, I think it's like just kind of kind of getting that set sense of you know, you are your own employer. So you can choose to give yourself that stability in a way. Um, and for someone who's like listening and go, wow, like £2,000 a month, that's like a lot of money. Like how, you know, how long did it take you to get to that? And, and, and if you could think about that time, was there a mindset shift that you had to go through in terms of charging or, or, or something? Like that? Was there, is there something around that? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, listen, this was like living in London. So £2,000 a month when you covered your rent and everything else is <laughs> probably not very much. But like, um, the, I suppose in terms of, you know, ha, like how was I doing that and setting up the business and stuff? So when I was setting up Think Productive, um, I was actually putting money in. So I was, uh, mainly doing consultancy and training. And so mm -hmm. charging myself out at, at, at a day rate to do that kind of work mm -hmm. and doing quite a lot of stuff that was still based in the charity sector and, uh, in the worlds that I knew and was familiar with and already had sure. some kind of, you know, sort of cachet and audience with, I guess, and sure. trust. Trust is the main thing, I think. Um, and, you know, and then I was off the back of that sort of, you know, using some of that uh, money to subsidize Think Productive to kind of pay for the printing costs and pay for the, mm. you know, the sort of, the, the, you know, all the kind of setup costs that I needed within the business. It was probably about, you know, five or six thousand pounds or something over the course of a year. Mm. Uh, I'm totally making that up off the top of my head. So sure. I might be really way out because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not great. I'm actually just not great with the numbers in my business. Like yeah. I, I tend to leave other people to that and, and find people I can trust with that. But yeah, so I was, I guess, kind of subsidizing uh, the Think Productive setup cost through working day rate stuff, um, you know, uh, doing training and doing consultancy and other, other kind of things. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you're, I, I think the difference as well is that when you're in a waged job, um, the world might stop at Christmas and in August and <laughs> your pay packet doesn't, right? So you still get paid in those months yeah. and you can take two weeks holiday or three weeks holiday or whatever and uh, you know, you still, you know, luxuriously and miraculously get paid. Sure. So I, I kind of always wanted to be in a situation where I could, you know, I, like I could have, um, you know, time off or time away or whatever and still have that kind of drip, drip pay packet kind of yeah. thing coming in. So, yeah, that was always the way that I, I was doing it. I guess, you know, um, the idea of having that sort of regular money coming in every month that I could either spend on myself or I could put some of that into Think Productive and start to build that business. 
um, was kind of key really just to make me feel happy enough to to make the leap. Yeah, I love that. And there's something that you talked about, which is so relevant to this audience listening to the unconventionalists, which is around, I started off and realized that I'm like a one man band or a one woman band and I'm going to do yeah. everything and shit, I need to start getting organized. Um, so what were the first things that, what, what is one of the most common things you see in early stage entrepreneurs or freelancers or people going through that transition that you see that they're doing wrong? Oh, that's, well, that's a huge question. There's like hundreds of, I mean, there's hundreds of things that people do wrong and hundreds of things that people do right. Do you mean in terms of productivity or just in yeah, terms of... Pro- like- yeah, 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 sorry, yeah. Yeah, in terms of productivity, so, so I've got like a whole bunch of questions uh, yeah, on this topic, okay. but it's like, it's like one, one of the things that, you know, I'm sure with your experience having run workshops around the world and giving talks about it, you must start seeing patterns of things that are showing up, whether it's emails or time management or work-life balance. Yeah. The sort of things that you see. Okay, well, I suppose bringing it back to the freelancer, new business, uh, that kind of mindset, that kind of situation. Um, one of the things that I see a lot is people who uh, just say yes to everything, right? So like in the beginning of setting up a business or going freelance, it's like you're trying to figure out like where's my niche here? How do I mm. add value? How do I create the revenue streams and what people are going to pay for? How much they're going to pay? All that kind of, kind of stuff. And so the temptation in those situations is often to just say, well, the only reason I'm, the only way I'm going to figure that out is just by saying yes to every single request or every single thing. Will you come and do this talk for free? Yes, because I might get exposure. Will you come and do this work for not very much money? Yes. Will you do this thing that's really well paid? Yes. And so you just, you don't really necessarily um, like, you know, start to segment that stuff Mm -hmm. um, in the early stages. And I think, you know, if if you're not like necessarily 100% uh, like sure on what kind of path you want to take or what you want your your business to turn into. Like there's some value in saying yes to a lot of that stuff. But I suppose from a productivity point of view, it can often leave you close to burnout. It can often leave you feeling very stressed. It can leave you with a lot of balls that you have to juggle and keep in the air. Hmm. And so I would say, you know, getting, getting in control of that stuff, um, you know, like from quite an early stage and working out which of these things am I defining as a project? Which of these things am I going to, you know, actually uh, like commit myself to doing? Hmm. And once you do that, like having a project list of that stuff and coming back to that regularly and reviewing it regularly and being agile around that. So not being afraid to say that was a really good idea as a project three weeks ago and now it's not. And I'm going (laughs) to renegotiate that and take that off my list and be really intentional about making some of those decisions. Yeah. I I love that because this, this is so relevant. You know, I'm actually in that phase of, I've got lots of different opportunities coming my way and I'm just going, yes, yes. And giving talks there and there and workshops and, and, uh, it gets really tiring, you know, it's really tiring. Yeah. Yeah. I I can really, I can really, and actually this leads me to like a question, which is the number one thing that I struggle with. And number one thing that I see people struggling on the most questions I got about today's episode was around how do you manage your time? Like it seems that, you know, we never have enough time and we're always running out of time. What would be one of your, I guess, tips or insights or breadcrumbs that people could start playing with uh don't manage time (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'll tell you what i mean by that so um you i mean you can't manage time but you can manage attention um Mm. and there's a very subtle but very important difference here um you have like in my book i talk about you have two to three hours of what i call proactive attention in the day so the time when you're really switched on the time when you're really capable of doing your best work or making your best decisions or being the most creative. And so, you know, how you deal with that two to three hours is 
you know, for me, much more interesting a question than how do I try and, you know, make sure I have enough hours in the day. There will never be enough hours in the day. Um, so <laughs> how do you add the most value in that kind of two to three hour proactive attention period is kind of number one. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, say no to more stuff and, you know, and start to, you know, really get a sense of what's important to you versus what's kind of useful, but you're not going to do it, you know? And so I think uh, mm-hmm. that was probably the journey that I went on as a freelancer, uh, kind of, you know, in, in the stages before I was setting up Think Productive or whether mm-hmm. I, where, where I was setting up Think Productive, but it was, it was more a sort of, uh, you know, like me putting cash in before I was getting cash out kind of situation right. was like really, you know, sort of recognizing what were the things that I could really add value to, you know, in a paid sense and trying to say yes to more of those things and saying no to some of the stuff that, you know, were often the, the steadier or easier gigs, but you say no to them because they take up so much of your energy that you don't have the energy left to really focus on the business. So mm-hmm. again, you know, just kind of working out how do I add impact and how do I get the most kind of bang for my buck in terms of my energy is the kind of key thing really. Yeah. What, w- what would you say? So I had a question around, um, uh, I think it's from David who asked, do you recommend to using online scheduling systems versus scheduling the old fashioned way where you keep control of your diary? So effectively, I think what he means is um, open up your diary. Let's say you set up something on, on Calendly or Accuracy, whatever it is, an online calendar, you put your availability, availabilities and then you send this off to your clients. Yeah, um, yeah. And do, w- w- what's your thoughts about the online scheduling system versus being in control of your, of your, of your diary manually? Um, well, I guess it depends on what your like what your role is. Like if you're a coach, um, so I work I work with a few people who, as well as working with Think Productive, they do personal coaching, mm-hmm. and they use things like Time Trade and you know things where you know of that nature where you can kind of you know give your available hours to people, and and it, it takes a lot of that uh, sort of back and forth away. I've just started experimenting with a thing. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the company. I think it's called X dot. I think it's called Mm -hmm. x.ai, but basically I now have a new uh, scheduling assistant. She's called Amy Ingram, Mm -hmm. and she is an artificially intelligent uh, being. So basically, like, she doesn't exist. No way. Yeah, yeah, like, it's mental. Um, So, yeah, like, I think it's it's, uh, x.ai, I think is the name of the company. And you pay a subscription service, and basically then... What happens is, you know, so I would like you would email me and you would say, hey, Graham, can we do this podcast? And then I would say, sure, Mark, that'd be really good. I'm CCing in, in Amy here and she'll, you know, get something set up. And then you will get emails from Amy Ingram and it will really, and I, I, the reason I discovered this is someone did this to me. I thought Amy was real. Like I was chatting to Amy. <laughs> oh my God, you're serious? Um, That's insane. Yeah, like it's, it's so good. So I've just started experimenting with that it's um i think it takes a little bit of a it takes some time to set it up you have to kind of educate it a little bit in terms of where do you like to meet and all these kind of factors but that for me is kind of more interesting because i because i because i'm not a coach right so i don't mm. just have like i want to book out five one hour slots per day or sure. whatever the yeah, sure. you know whatever the model is yeah um but to be able to just kind of schedule occasional skypes and stuff um, and I'm having this conversation a lot with um, Caitlin, who's my assistant at the moment, and kind of saying to her, just think about all the more interesting stuff that you could spend your time doing if we really get this working. Mm. So we're kind of looking at it as a really big opportunity to That's take a lot of the drudgery out of her job and really help to 
get her to support me more around kind of marketing and more creative stuff. So yeah, yeah it's, it's quite an exciting thing. <laughs> I think, you know, so cool. um, I think there's um, just, you know, just come back to sort of answering your, your question. I think the key uh, sort of critical factor in there is control. Mm. So feeling like you have control over your diary is the most important thing. If you need to do that by holding onto it tightly and managing it through Outlook or Google Calendar or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, do that. And if you feel like, you know, sort of something like time trade would work for you, then then that's fine. Um, I've never gone down that kind of online scheduling route, but like, yeah, like the the artificially intelligent thing kind of, it's slightly freaking me out at the moment. And so I'm, <laughs> you know, have, the, the journey for me is is giving up that control essentially. Wow. And and so just, I mean, I've, I've got to ask this question. So what happens like if someone asks like a random question that isn't like an automated question, like what time can we meet? But it'll be something, oh, what does, what kind of tea does Graham like? Um, I think from what I've seen so far, uh, what happens then is that Amy would then kind of forward that back to me saying, here's some, you know, here's some other information, basically, like what, what do you want me to do about it? Um, but it's amazing in terms of, um, you know, just like setting the venues and time zones. And I've been setting stuff up with, uh, you know, people in the States and things like that. And it seems to understand what's US time and what's UK time. And yeah, sure. like incredible. Yeah, love it. Um, the other one is work-life balance. Um, is it possible to have work-life balance or is work-life balance a myth? Uh, both are true. <laughs> that's from Victoria, by the way. Yeah, uh, that's, I, that's a very, very insightful question, Victoria, because I think both are true. So uh, I, I do think work-life balance is a myth um, in in terms of the way it's defined. So uh, you can, you take the same brain to work as you bring home. And so you if you've got loads of stuff going on in your personal life, and you know, uh, like you arrive at work at nine o'clock, you can have the best time management strategy, but you've got all that stuff on your mind, right? Mm. And likewise, you can have a really stressful day at work and you can go home and you can be snarky to your kids or to your partner or whatever. Uh, and so that's because you have the same brain and you have the same stress levels and you know, you're sort of carting that stuff from home to work and work to home. So within Think Productive, within my business, I mean, we do a, um, a thing uh, called the weekly review um, which um, anyone who's come across either my book or also um, uh, David Allen in Getting Things Done talks about this idea of the weekly review. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's basically a time in your week where you really um, you know, sit down and take stock of everything that's going on in your life and all the different actions and projects and commitments and everything that you have. Um, and within my business, you know, I for years would be saying to the staff, like, OK, when you do your weekly review, run through all your projects and I want you to spend time thinking about the projects that are in your home life, in your personal life, mm. in work time. And people would really get, uh, you know, quite sort of freaked out by yeah. this notion of like, you're paying me to think about my home stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, because then it's off your mind for the rest of the week and you're going to be way more productive and way more present and way less stressed yeah. and have a better work-life balance. And and that's a really important thing. So, I, I you know, I think that's sort of how you manage it in that sense, uh, you know, sort of recognizing that these things are not, completely separate. I think the idea of nine to five, Monday to Friday, and then you're totally switched off is it's on its way out, unfortunately, whether we like that or not, Mm. um, just by the fact that we have connectivity. And so I think the new game is like, okay, we are connected and we get to choose what our boundaries are and what our rules are are around around that. So, you know, a lot of people who um, I work with who are based in the UK, but have a US parent company mm-hmm. will clock off from work at 6 or 7 p.m 
Uh, this is, you know, particularly in sort of tech companies where they will work a little sure. bit later. Um, they'll clock off at six or seven. They'll go home. And between 11 and 11.30 in the evening, America wakes up. They have half an hour on email blasts and then they go to bed, you know. And like that is, hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't sort of design that as my ideal pattern of like yeah. how I would work and live. But that's the way that they can then be really present during the evening and also be really switched on and productive during their time at work. So I think we have to kind of think slightly unconventionally around mm-hmm. how some of those schedules work. Um, but I, I, I also think um, work-life balance is, is becoming, uh, you know, much more of an important theme. Um, so I'm doing this podcast at the moment, just obsessing on work-life balance. So it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's called Beyond Busy. So the idea yeah. is, you know, I think there is there is a land beyond the feeling of busy. And right. so my sort of and, exploration and is how, problem, right? how do like, we get to that. There's also this problem like glorifying busyness. That, that's been oh, like, so this is like, basically, I'm, I've, I've started this podcast as a research project um, with the sort of longer term aim of writing a book also called Beyond Busy. Right. And basically, the, the central premise of the book is going to, like, I hope if this book does really well, it will stop the conversation that goes, how are you doing at the moment? I'm busy, busy. Oh, I'm so busy. <laughs> like, I just, I just want to stop that being a thing that exists. Like, yeah. that's basically my... Uh, my goal for this next book but yeah, yeah so I, um, but you know in terms of how i manage that myself i don't think i was particularly good at it for a long time um and particularly in the early stages of setting up think productive like i was probably too productive like i was working too many hours and uh, not spending enough time on me or at home or anything like that yeah um and then in more recent years i've really gone uh you know sort of quite far the other way so so i work a four-day week um, I, I basically clock off at, at sort of five o'clock on a, on a Thursday and then I'm done. Um, I, I do have email on my phone, but I don't have notifications on my phone. So basically I don't check email or check Slack, uh, mm. during the evenings. We use Slack as the sort of internal tool within, yeah. within Think Productive. Um, so yeah, like I feel like I'm pretty boundaried now around how I manage that stuff. Uh, and I'm also pretty proud to say that no one at Think Productive is in the office past about 5.30, 5.45. Like as a business, we're very, very conscious of it, um, you know, and we make sure that we, you know, really embrace the humanness and really embrace uh, the idea of, of people having a life outside yeah. of work. And that being, to me, like as important as, you know, uh, as, a, as a thing for living as it is for making you more productive and, and perform better in your job as well. Yeah, there's, there's something around guilt, that I see a lot in myself and people around me around feeling guilty when we're not working. For example, the idea that, you know, we'll clock up at five o'clock and I go, oh my God, I've still got this yeah. invoice to send. I've still got this email to chase back this client. And it's like, and you're never really present, right? So then you go back to your family and you're with your partner or your family, your kids, and they can sense that you're not really there. And there's, and I've seen this both in, I guess, entrepreneurs or people selling the businesses and people who work in very hectic, busy jobs. What would you want to tell people who are going through this emotional stress of feeling guilty when they're not working? Uh, I'd probably like to tell them that everybody feels that, <laughs> right? So, mm-hmm. um, like, I, I was saying to someone the other week, uh, I was I was in um, Sydney in Australia and was doing um, I was doing a getting your inbox to zero workshop, right? And someone said, "Oh, I'm really just." like someone was really panicking. She had about 8,000 emails and we were well on the way to getting her to zero, which we did in the end, but we were kind of halfway through and she sort of said something along the lines of Graham, I'm really scared. Like I'm really scared about 
changing these folders around and deleting these things and filing these things and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, on the one hand, if you, if you just like stand back from that situation, you go like, why, like, why are you scared by that? Like, it's kind of, that's really fascinating, right? Like, like there's someone scared mm -hmm. by these kind of digital items, digi digital objects and stuff. But my kind of slightly flippant line back to her was, do you know, like in 10 or 15 years of, of thinking about and writing about and coaching productivity as a topic, like basically it all comes down to fear and guilt. Like it's mm. all about fear and guilt. And so I think, you know, in terms of how people uh, like react and interact with the information that defines their work, um, that's the thing that, you know, if you can get better at that, you can start to silence the fear and silence the guilt. Um, so, you know, and, you know, in terms of practical things of how people get there. So even just getting all that stuff out of your head and onto paper is a great start. But having a really good list manager, having a really good discipline around on a daily basis and on a weekly basis, coming back and interacting with that and reviewing that stuff. Um, it will, yeah, I don't think it makes it go away because I think it's a really natural human emotion, but it will certainly start to, uh, you know, to quieten those, those thoughts of fear and guilt for sure. Yeah. No, I love that. There's so, so much wealth. Um, there's, so you've written a few books, Knowledge Ninja, Productivity Ninja. Uh, where did the, where did the concept ninja come first to you? Like, where did you, where did you come up with that? Um, well, so the idea of productivity ninja, uh, we started the company in 2009. Um, those of you who are old enough to remember 2009, uh, it feels like a long time ago. Uh, you remember like it wasn't a great time to be launching a training business, right? Like it was financial crash and all of that stuff. So the, the name productivity ninja really came from, and I've still got the email somewhere, uh, a colleague of mine, Lee, uh, who's one of our, our productivity ninjas who, who goes into companies and does this work um, with us. Um, so we had an email back and forth, which was basically like, let's not call ourselves management consultants <laughs> and let's not call ourselves trainers. What are we going to call ourselves that's going to mean that we stand out? And we just had like a bunch of these, um, you know, sort of quirky job titles. And the idea was, what's the funniest thing we can put on a business card that will make us stand out <laughs> and just get a conversation going? You know, it was just about starting a conversation. Yeah. And we had loads of other ones like um, the office doctors, which I think someone else actually started using and it became a thing. <laughs> um, there was uh, the productivity wizard. You know, there's all these different things that we yeah. came up with. Uh, Ninja just seemed to be the one I that it. Yeah. Uh, it just really like stuck and just fitted with the ethos that we're trying to create and what the brand's about. So a lot of it is about, you know, it's cutting through the crap. It's about being more ruthless. It's about getting that sense of Zen-like calm, uh, preparedness, mindfulness, you know, so all these things that then became um, essentially the nine characteristics of the productivity ninja that's in the book. Um, like all were really kind of things that we were talking about anyway. So mm -hmm. it just kind of started to, to sort of fit together. But I mean, you know, the very, so the very initial use of it was, let's make the funniest thing we can put on a business card. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we've probably had, I think we've had about three or four um, like emails or uh, like sort of phone calls in, you know, the best part of eight years or whatever, where people have said, we can't hire you uh, like because your thing is called Productivity Ninja and we can't take that seriously. Really? And yeah, so we've had three or four of those. We've probably had dozens and dozens where people have gone, I want to be a ninja, I'm hiring you. Right? <laughs> so, uh, so I suppose that's the thing to reflect on about that is that whenever we get those like 
you know, whenever we've had the the email that says we can't hire you because no one can take this seriously or whatever, you know, we feel down for about 10 minutes and then we kind of realize actually there's something important just generally in business about just being distinctive and being a bit different. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that like basically it's best, I think, not to try and aim to please everybody, but to just be really remarkable with um, you know, a, a kind of smaller but more loyal audience in that kind of way. I guess it's the kind of Seth Godin purple cow, if right, you come across that, that yeah. sort of idea. Yeah. That sort of idea of just trying to be more remarkable and, and something that's more memorable. Love and actually, the company, we called the company Think Productive. And for a whole bunch of very practical reasons, uh, not least because a lot of people have built loyalty up. Uh, a lot of our clients are loyal to Think Productive as a brand. Mm-hmm. But like, honestly, like if I was starting again tomorrow, I would probably even say, let's just call the business productivity ninja and like be even because even sometimes we've been into like sales meetings yeah it's it's even more bold and i like in a way it felt bold even just having that on a business card but like the next step of bold would have been just calling it the productivity ninjas but i've had people (laughs) in sales meetings say hey tell us how productivity ninja can help you know so people are already kind of thinking about the business name as being that anyway so that's i guess my other sort of learning from it is um Next time I do it, I'll be even more bold, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Quick fire round questions. We're coming to the end of the interview. Emails, do they have a future? Yes or no? <laughs> um, do they have a future? That's a good question. Um, I'm certainly seeing a, a sort of revolt against emails. Um, and I think the use of things like Slack um, as communication tools will replace 80 to 90% of email. I think email will, will become ultimately... The sort of um, how how one business talks to another business, almost like business letter, Uh, like what a business letter was five years ago or might even still be today in some industries. Hmm. Um, I think email will go in that direction. So it will still have a purpose. But in terms of the day to day internal communication, I think it will be on its way out in. Well, um, it's on its way out in certain industries. The other thing is, is um, it's quite surprising to me how slow a lot of particularly bigger companies move on this stuff. So Mm. in bigger companies, email will still be around for 10, 15 years. Mm. Social media, can it play a part in productivity? Uh, What, in terms of scuppering it or? Yeah, so let's say, is it it more of a distraction or can it be a powerful tool for productivity? Um, I think think it's definitely more of a distraction. Um, I mean, I think that's a very easy thing to say. And then what do you do about that? So, you know, for example, like having having blockers on your on your Google Chrome or on your phone or whatever to, you know, just be really disciplined around how, how and when you use um, social media. I've been off Facebook now for about a year, um, not, not predominantly as a productivity thing. Like I, I used to have blockers that would block Facebook at certain times of the day, but I just found I was just getting so depressed, like just because it became my source of news. Right. And I was just getting angrier and angrier by what I was reading all the time. And so I said, this is just not actually like making me happy. You know, so I went off Facebook. One of the best decisions I ever made was to go off Facebook. So um, mm. any, any of you who's thinking about that, the view from the other side is really peaceful and serene. <laughs> Do it. Get off there for sure. Um, I think it can be really I used to use um, Twitter to crowdsource ideas a lot. So I would just put a tweet out with a question saying, hey, what do you think about this? Or. Uh, I've got this kind of idea for the book. What do you think? And just getting those kind of instant little responses, I think, is a very productive, cool little thing. Like if you think 
like 10 years ago, how would you have done that? Or, or 15 or 20 years ago, how would you have done that? Like yeah. that would have been several weeks of yeah. setting up a focus group, right? Like yeah. that would have taken such a long time to be able to put something out to a thousand people or whatever and get like 20 really useful responses. Like it's phenomenal. Mm. Um, and actually with, 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 um, uh, the book, my book writing process has a sort of period in the middle where I finish the first draft and before I give it to my editor, I send it to about 20 to 30 people. And then I do conference call focus groups with kind of, you know, five to 10 people at a time. And all of those were mainly was sourced through Facebook and Twitter. So wow. I, I guess the next one will always be, uh, it would be, be total Twitter and not Facebook. But yeah, like just that idea of being able to just get people to uh, commit to reading the book and then giving you feedback on it and stuff. That's great. Um, yeah. Really, really cool part of the process. And anyone writing a book, I'd really recommend that as, as a kind of thing. But yeah, like I think having boundaries around uh, like, and, and really it's about like limiting your own um, sort of ability to be interrupted. Like willpower is so overrated. <laughs> and like you, so you have to, so you have to really set like very sort of firm rules and almost like treat yourself like a child. Like I have this thing, which is, um, uh, there's two versions of you. There's the, there's the, the clever motivated version of you. And then there's the lazy scatterbrained version of you and the lazy scatterbrained version of you will always go, this work feels really hard. Like give me something that feels easier and looks a bit like work. I'm going to go and check my Twitter <laughs> notifications or Facebook or whatever. So you have to use the clever motivated version of you to, to say, how do I stop that? Oh, I'm going to put my phone in a box in another room and keep it away from my desk or I'm going to, you know, I mean, I think even putting your phone on silent, it's so easy to, uh, to turn it back on. Right. So like often when I'm working or writing, I'll have, I'll have my phone in the house and I'll be writing down in my garden office at the bottom of the garden or whatever. Um, you know, so just like really treating yourself like an absolute child is far more useful than just deciding that you're going to have great willpower today. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Just, um, a couple of last questions. Um, one of them is four hour work week. Is it possible? <laughs> um, uh, Tim Ferriss probably works like 80 hours a week. Um, <laughs> does that answer the question? <laughs> so, uh, well, is it possible? I, I don't know. I, I struggle with it. I, I think some of that's the stuff in that book is really great. Um, his stuff around, uh, managing attention and, you know, not apologizing for letting small things go bad um, and, you know, really trying to remove some of that fear and guilt stuff, um, I think is really great writing. Um, I find some of that book slightly unethical, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the whole sort of outsourcing it all to India and, and you know, <laughs> right. that sort of thing. Um, and also just slightly like, I don't know, it, it sort of seems to set up a premise that why are you only working four hours a week because work is bad and everything else that you do in the rest of your life is great. And personally, I love my work. Like I wouldn't want to limit it to four hours a week. Mm. Um, you know, it gives me a really great, uh, you know, sense of identity, motivation, self-esteem, all kinds of other things. Um, so it's probably possible. Like if you live really frugally and, you know, you earn in dollars and you, spend in Indian rupees or pesos or something, it's probably possible. But like, yeah, Tim Ferriss works 80 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Graham, what's one thing, a fun fact about you or one thing that most people don't know about you? 
Oh, okay. Uh, ooh, what's the fun fact? So uh, I, yeah, like the one I always give when it's kind of like the party game question is my my best student job was I was Hugh Bear. Um, <laughs> and those of you who live in like Birmingham or the Midlands, which is where I'm from, uh, would know who Hugh Bear is. Hugh Bear is the mascot of Warwickshire County Cricket Club. So he's the <laughs> the big sort of cuddly bear suit sort of costume. So I'd be like, you know, so um, cricket, unlike football, is a summer sport. So it's like, you know, 30 degrees in sunny Birmingham and you're in the middle of the pitch at Edgebaston and you're doing like some kind of keep fit routine. Uh, but I love that job. Like it was a really fun job. Um, and I suppose the other fun fact is I live in Brighton, uh, but I, for my sins, I'm an Aston Villa season ticket holder. So I spend a lot of time uh, sort of pounding up and down uh, on trains and uh, just making myself very miserable, basically. Usually. Although it's, it's got better now. We're, we're, we're better. It's going to be okay. Great. <laughs> before, I, before I ask you my final questions, I just want to take a time to say thank you for coming on the show. And, and also thank you for sharing your wisdom and knowledge and that um, it's so needed because I know that having worked 10 years across corporate, nonprofit and charities, so many people like suffering from this overload of information, stress, that they feel that they're not getting enough done. And I think your work is really, really needed. And I love the name Productivity Ninja. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of all those uh, inbox zeros that are just waiting to happen. Thank you, and um, just to just to return that as well. While we're on the uh, the the mutual uh, appreciation, so having just listened to a couple of your podcasts as well, um, I just think it's really valuable to uh, be sharing knowledge and wisdom from so many different sources. So thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. So welcome. Two two last questions. One: What does being unconventional mean to you? Ooh, what does being unconventional mean to me? So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was introduced um, at an event. Uh, by someone who knows me quite well and said, Graham's always the person who has the opposite opinion. <laughs> so like, and I was like, does that just mean I'm just like really annoying? You know, like, <laughs> I'm just the sort of grumpy, annoying guy. But yeah, so I, I think I'm quite good at challenging groupthink mm -hmm. and just, you know, thinking about the counter arguments or the less obvious thing. Um, and I don't really know where that comes from, to be honest, but I think it's just something that I've always, uh, sort of learned how to do is just sort of push against the grain a little bit and just do things right. a little bit differently. Um, yeah, what, I suppose that's probably what unconventional means to me, um, in that sense. But I think there's, there's a slightly bigger thing with this, which is, you know, I'm, I'm just doing a lot of thinking about this at the moment, um, with my podcast beyond busy which is all about work-life balance, because as, as soon as you start think, thinking about work-life balance and happiness, um, one of the themes that comes up a lot is what does success or happiness look like right. to you and how do you yeah. define it versus how does the rest of society define it? Mm -hmm. And so talking to, you know, everyone from Olympic gold medalists to professional clowns about like that question, like what I've really learned is like how much peer pressure there is and how much societal pressure there is to live a certain life and live in a certain way and to kind of fit in and be conventional. And so, you know, sort of, I suppose through the years, I've, I've thought about that a lot, but I'm thinking about it even more now is like, why do we have those rules in place? And like, how can you push against them and, and do things a bit differently? So I think, you know, like, I suppose my message to your listeners around that is like, n like no one will die and nothing will go wrong if you just don't play by the conventional kind of societal rules of like, 
how you define happiness or how uh, how your life is supposed to be set up. You know, I think the more you can just kind of push against that and just do what you want to do, um, you know, the happier you become, I guess. Love it. Where do you hang out most online? Where can people find you? And what's your upcoming project? Okay, so uh, you can find me at uh, grahamalcott.com. Um, my business is called Think Productive. So that's just thinkproductive.com. And we have a whole, whole bunch of other sites. Um, the uh, the podcast is called Beyond Busy. So just getbeyondbusy.com. Or you can search Beyond Busy in iTunes and Google Play and all that stuff. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter. So you can get me on Twitter. It's at Graham Alcott. And I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, the man who's not on Facebook. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thank you. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I apologize for the quality of the audio, especially on my end. There was a technical problem that I was just not aware of until after we recorded the interview. It happens, especially when you know, you're know you one-man band. And that's why in 2017, one of my main business goals is to grow a team so that we can put out quality content at a more regular interval, both video and audio. And I cannot wait to recruit some amazing team members in 2017. So if you're interested in getting involved behind the scenes in production or seeing how we do things over at The Unconventionalist, get in touch because I'm going to be on the lookout for some amazing creative dynamic talent for 2017. In the meantime, you can find all the show notes and all the links to check out Graham's work over at www.marklaroos.com forward slash podcast. I hope you have an amazing holiday break. If you're celebrating Christmas, happy Christmas to you. And I will see you next week in the final episode of 2016. Let's blow the numbers off the roof. I love you. I appreciate you and enjoy the weekend. Don't go too festive, but festive enough.